Amen. Good morning, everybody. Great to see you this morning. I think I'm okay with just my shirt on without a jacket. I think I'm going to be all right. Maybe these lights will warm me up after. It has been chilly, hasn't it? 50 mils of rain last night or something like that as well. Fantastic. Turn in your Bibles to Galatians, sorry, to Philippians, which is after Galatians. This is happening regularly now. We're going to be looking, uh, continuing in our series there this morning. So just turn uh, up to Philippians. Um, but as, as we get going, I just wanted to share with you that I uh, had the opportunity to go to a conference in the last uh, week or two uh, by Reach Australia. It was their national uh, conference, 2021. Uh, normally it all happens on uh, usually the other side of Australia in one location, but because of COVID it was in state-based Hubs, so I was able to go uh, to that, and it was uh, it was really really encouraging. It was uh, the subject was deeper, uh, which was all about uh, growing in maturity as followers of Jesus. It was a great conference, some really fantastic teaching, some excellent leadership stuff, and good networking uh, with others. Uh, if you haven't heard of Reach Australia, let me encourage you to familiarise yourself with them. They have a website, all sorts of really great. Uh, resources that you can uh, access there and so on. But just, uh, just for now, their, um, their kind of vision uh, is seeing healthy, evangelistic, multiplying churches reaching the lost across Australia. Sounds like a good vision, doesn't it? Healthy, evangelistic, multiplying churches reaching the lost across Australia. And they've got a particular goal in mind that they're aiming at at the moment, and that is to plant 200 churches by 2030. 200 churches by 2030 and to equip 550 gospel workers. Uh, They have planted 110 churches in the last 10 years and they're wanting to double that uh, as they go forward. But they also shared with us some really concerning statistics about the church in Australia. And the first one you can see there is that 100 churches currently are closing in Australia every year. 100 churches in Australia are closing in Australia every year. So you just do the math, that's 1,000 churches closed by 2030 and they're seeking to plant 200 churches by 2030. Obviously, there are other people planting churches and so on. So whether it kind of balances up, who knows? Or whether you know there's a there, there's a red or a black uh, um, figure at the bottom, we'll have to wait until 2030 to work that out. But the other statistic, or other things they raised, which was probably equally concerning, if not more concerning, is that large numbers of people in churches and churches like us, by the way, that are Bible believing and Bible teaching that make that that kind of aspect central to who we are and what we do, large numbers of people in those churches are not growing into mature disciples of Jesus. And part of that statistic was that less than 40% of people in Bible-believing, Bible-teaching churches are not reading their Bibles either daily or even regularly. And that's a concerning statistic, don't you think? Because do you see the problem here? Only those who are growing into mature followers of Jesus will actually plant churches. 
So there's a connection between those statistics, isn't there? And then if you think about what Jesus said in Matthew 4, verse 4, he says, man or humanity, us, will not live by bread alone, but by every mouth that comes from the word of God. Sorry, every word that comes from the mouth of God. You know what I mean? It's up on the screen. You can't miss it, right? So think about that. We will not live by bread alone, by food, even if it's really nice food, even if it's really healthy food, even if it's organically grown food, even if it's you know got no pesticides on it or any, that kind of food. We won't live by that alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So if what Jesus says is true, then this is what it means in light of those statistics. 60% of people in churches are dying in their faith if they were alive in the first place. And if that is true, then we are not by and large hearing from God. His word is not a light to our feet and a lamp to our path. We are not being convicted by the word of God. And therefore we are not repenting of anything. And so our lives are not changing and we are not growing. That's what all those stats actually lean towards. Add to that the skill that we have developed in sitting over the word of God when it's opened up in maybe this context or even the growth group. Oh, I'm not sure I agree with that. Oh, you know, oh that was a good sermon. Oh, that's nice. I like that idea. That skill that we've developed of sitting over the word of God instead of placing ourselves under the word of God as our final authority. And we must conclude this, I think. And you can talk about this with me afterwards if you think I'm wrong. We are in real trouble. There is a discipleship crisis. It would seem that we have forgotten or perhaps never realised what discipleship actually looks like. We don't know personally or experientially, at least very often, what repentance and faith is. For many of us, to live is Christ may just be words on a screen, not the foundation and focus of our lives. But friends, the good news is this, it doesn't have to be that way. It doesn't have to stay that way. If that describes where you're at, you don't have to stay there. God's grace is powerful and we can turn to him. We can see afresh that it is really true that to live is Christ for the follower of Jesus. We can see that today for the first time. We can see it again if we've forgotten what it is. And guess what? We can repent and believe. Not just seeing that, but signing up to it from the heart. 
Now that's exactly what's going to ha- what can happen for us today as we continue our series to live as Christ in the book of Philippians. So let's read where we're going to be today from chapter 1. We're going to see three key indicators of true discipleship or of deep uh, maturity. Three key realities that should be present in our lives if Jesus has saved us. Three resolves, if you like, that we make that flow out of knowing Jesus as Saviour and Lord. So Philippians 1, starting from verse 12. Our focus is 19 to 26, but just for context sake, let's read a little bit more. Philippians 1, chapter, uh, verse 12, Paul writes, if you remember last week, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of all, the brothers have become, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defence of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in, any, in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. Verse 21, For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labour for me. Yet which, which shall I choose? I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Let's just pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you that it is living and active and sharper than a two-edged sword. It can penetrate deep down into the very centre of our hearts, exposing what's there, bringing life there where nothing else can. Please help us not to be like those who look in the mirror And walk away forgetting what we look like as we come to your word. Help us to be not just hearers but doers. Help us to submit ourselves to you today as we hear your word and see what you're saying and see the implications of it. For this is, Lord, good for us and glorifying to you that your word might indeed be a light to our feet and a lamp to our path. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, three key indicators that should be present in your life if Jesus has saved you. Three resolves that should flow out of knowing Jesus as your Saviour and Lord. What are they? Firstly, that you might increasingly seek to magnify Jesus in everything. 
that you and I might seek to increasingly magnify Jesus in everything. And we see that in verse 19 and 20. Paul says, I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not at all be ashamed, but with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honoured or magnified or exalted or treasured in my body, whether by life or by death. It's quite remarkable, isn't it, when you stop and think about it? He has this eager expectation and hope that he won't be ashamed on the one hand, that he will have full courage on the other, and that Jesus will be honoured or magnified or seen to be great in his life, whether he lives on or whether he dies. What's remarkable about this? Well, think about it. He is in prison for preaching Jesus as Lord. He is going to appear before the most powerful ruler on the planet. He is going to appear before Emperor Caesar. And what's he going to do there when he appears? He is going to give an account for his ultimate allegiance to Jesus and not to Caesar. He will be seeking to display the worth of Jesus to Caesar, no matter what. And it could well cost him his life. He doesn't know. He has no clue how this is going to turn out. But notice his clear resolve. Verse 20, that Jesus would be magnified in his body, whether by life or by death. If the verdict is such that his life is spared, magnify Jesus in my life. If it's not and his life is taken, magnify Jesus in his death, that is, by how he dies, in what way he dies. Either way, Paul's primary goal is clear. The fundamental foundational reality of his life is settled, right? Isn't it? To magnify Jesus in everything. Now, we might be tempted as we sit here this morning, 2,000 years later, to go, yeah, well, that's all right for Paul to say. I mean, he was an apostle, right? Must have been much easier for him to magnify Jesus in his body, either by life or by death, than me or you in our culture and our society. And he does. You've got to be honest. He does sound fairly confident. Verse 20, and it's my eager expectation and hope that I won't be ashamed, that I will magnify Jesus. But did you notice where his confidence lies? What his confidence is in? Is it in himself? Mm, No, have a look at verse 19. He says, For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, This will turn out to my deliverance. Where is his confidence? Bizarre, isn't it? His confidence is in God's gracious response to the prayers of his people for him and in the help or the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ to him. Let me say that again. His confidence is in God's gracious response to his people's prayers for him. Emphasis, highlight, 
How important is it that we pray for one another to magnify Jesus in our lives, whether by life or by death, wherever God's placed us, right? and in the help of the, or supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ to him? Now, the ESV doesn't help us too much here with the uh, idea of the Spirit. It says with the help. It's probably would be better translated with the supply or the provision because it has this idea of ongoing supply. Not that we, we didn't just receive the Spirit back then when we became a Christian. Yes, we did, awesomely, and we were adopted and sealed and all of that indwelt by God's Spirit and so on. But to live a life that magnifies Jesus, we are in need of the ongoing supply and strengthening of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Uh, Paul is. So I'm going to go out on a limb here and conclude I am. And you are, if you're going to magnify Jesus. There is no way. No way that we will magnify, magnify Jesus with our lives without the ongoing provision and supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ to do so. We won't actually want to when push comes to shove. And we won't in reality be able to, even if we did want to. We will more likely end up ashamed of him and dishonouring him in our bodies in some way or other often in the presence of others. But with the prayers of his people and with the supply of his spirit, remarkably, people like us, people like you and me, sinners like us, saved by God's grace in Jesus, strengthened by the spirit of Jesus, can display, can show his worth in his world by the way we live. And when the time comes, by the way we die. But if we are to do that, it will mean two things for us that we see here in this passage. It will mean that we resolve once and for all to magnify Jesus in everything. Now, we're not saying we're going to do it all the time. And we're going to do it perfectly because we're not. But step one is to resolve that that is our desire. And step two is to rely on the spirit of Jesus in everything. To live dependently in order to do that. Let me ask you this morning, have you resolved to magnify Jesus in your life? In the power of the Holy Spirit? Have you settled that one? That that's what you want to do with your life? That's what you want your life to fundamentally and primarily be about? Showing his worth in his world, in whatever you do. You want a purpose for your life? Oh my goodness. Is that what, I, is that what your life about, is about? Is that what my life's about? Or is it in reality and sadly just about us and Jesus making our life better for us? 
The first resolve that flows out of knowing Jesus as Saviour and Lord is this, to magnify Jesus in everything. And to do that, the next resolve also needs to be increasingly true of us, to treasure Jesus above everything. Now, many have said this is the key verse to the whole letter of Philippians and uh, we, that is Danny and I, uh, tend to agree, hence the name of the series, to live as Christ. And when you see this and what it actually means for us as followers of Jesus, I think wow is the only word that comes close. If we can just grasp this, to live as Christ and to die as gain, just this one verse, right? If we could just grasp this one verse, and if we could just live out this one verse, I want to suggest to you that our lives as Christians will be radically and permanently transformed. And not only that, but the end of our lives as well, our death. And let me try and show you why. One of the things I've been thinking about in light of this passage in general is that we often think a lot about and reflect a lot on what Jesus has done for us. His death on the cross, atoning for our sins, his purchasing of our forgiveness, his bringing us peace with God, his his winning eternal life for us, his saving us by his grace and so on. And don't mishear me, that is a good thing that we do that and we must keep doing that. But we need to think not just about what Jesus has done for us, but probably even more importantly, who he is to us. Not just about his saving work for us, but about his immense worth to us. And I think that's what we have here, right, in verse 21. For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. What's Paul saying? He's not actually speaking about what Jesus has done for him at this point. He's speaking about who Jesus is to him. He's saying Jesus is where life is found and Jesus is what life is about. He's actually saying when he says to die is gain, Jesus is better than life itself. For death to be gained, Jesus must be better than this life. And, 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 and just to kind of unpack that a little, just think about this life the best it could possibly be. With everything you ever dreamed or hoped for landing in your, on your plate. And Paul still says, to die is gain. Jesus is better than life itself. So notice here we're thinking about who he is to us. Not so much about what he's done for us, as important as that is too. Or maybe we're thinking about who he currently isn't to us. We're thinking about what Jesus actually means to us. How important he actually is to us. Or isn't. And I think this is really challenging, don't you? It's a bit unsettling. In a kind of good way, I think. 
Because I can think, and I'm pretty sure you can too, think all day long about what Jesus has done for you without really much of a heart check. It's nice, right? All those good things he's done for us. And they are. But when I'm asked the question by God's word as to who he is to me, oh, well, hmm. When I'm asked to finish the sentence for myself, to live is, fill in the blank, look at my last month, and to die is, okay, now my heart's being checked. Now my idols are being exposed. Now I may actually need to repent. Of something. Or a whole bunch of things. Now I might need to turn from something. Now I might need to believe. Because isn't that statement a statement of faith? To live is Christ. See, repentance and faith are right here in this text. You repent from what you've put in the place of Jesus and you turn afresh to him, believing that he is more precious than everything. How do you finish the sentence? To live is, to die is. The reality is this, if you haven't had a heart check lately, you probably need one. Uh, we've got some people in our church with heart problems, that is the physical type. And you know what they do, right? They go to the cardio occasionally. They have a scan every now and again. <laughs> An ECG reading and whatever else cardios do. The truth is this though. Spiritually, all of us have heart problems. If you're breathing here this morning, spiritually, you have heart problems. All of us are prone to idolatry. All of us are prone to trying to find life in God's good gifts and not in the giver himself. All of us are prone to finding life in other things and to seeing death as only loss. Have you had your heart checked lately? (laughs) We need to think more often not just about who Jesus, uh, what Jesus has done for us, but about who he is to us deeply and honestly. And then we probably need to repent and believe. This is not a once-of thing, is it? You know, I've got that sorted now. Had my heart check. Yeah, I'm treasuring Jesus again. That's good. I've realised all those things I was being deceived and tricked by. Good to go now for the next 30 years. John Calvin said our hearts are idle factories. And until you stand before Jesus, that factory's still open. So regular heart checks are a good thing. 
As Christians, we are to treasure Jesus more than anything, more than life itself. He is to be our highest treasure, our greatest joy, our deepest longing. He is to be our life and he is to be better than life to us. Do you remember these words of an old hymn? All that thrills my soul is Jesus. He is more, more than life to me. And the fairest of 10,000. In my blessed Lord, I see. The second resolve that flows from our knowing Jesus as Saviour and Lord is to treasure Jesus above everything. And that's what he said in this parable, isn't it? Remember this little parable? I think it's probably one of the shortest parables in the Bible, but man, it packs a punch. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. (gasps) I found it. Is anyone here? Did anybody see me come into this paddock? I know the price. I, I know I can go and get rid of everything and buy this, and then I'll have everything more than I ever dreamed. That's what he does. In his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Treasuring Jesus more than everything, above everything. You see what happens to the guy when he treasures Jesus above everything? Do you see how powerful and transforming this is? Once he saw the matchless worth of Jesus, everything else fell into place. His heart was delivered from idolatry and self-sufficiency and not in a, okay, I suppose I better treasure Jesus. In his joy, in his joy, he went and sold everything. Is Jesus precious to you? Have you resolved to treasure him above everything? Is he everything to you? Because I don't know whether you know, but he won't be anything less. He will not share his glory with another. Can I encourage you today? Will you take some, t- some time somewhere? today or tomorrow or this week to deeply and honestly ask the question who is he to me? Who is he to me? Will you allow that question to expose what's happening at the core of who you are and will you repent and believe and will you so in, as a result grow in Christ? today or this week, not just this week. So our first two resolves that flow out of knowing Jesus as Saviour and Lord, we're to magnify Jesus in everything and treasure him above everything and lastly serve him with everything. Notice Paul is not at all clear about how things will turn out, but in verse 22 to 26 he does know some things. He says, if I'm to live on in the flesh, that means fruitful labour for me. Yet which shall I choose? I cannot tell. I'm hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far worse. No. It's far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. 
He doesn't know how things are going to turn out, but he does know what his life will be about if it's spared. What will, what will his life be about? Fruitful labour. Fruitful labour. The progress and joy of others, people's faith. Labouring or serving Jesus is what it will look like for Paul. There is the idea of labour here or work. Clearly it sounds like it involves effort, pain, maybe tiredness, maybe burden, maybe deep concern for someone. But that's what it's going to mean, labour. Why do we sometimes think serving Jesus won't involve labour or work or effort? It has been said that some people's commitment to serving Jesus goes as far as the point of inconvenience. That doesn't sound like this. (laughs) This sounds like labour. Have a listen to Colossians chapter 1. I think it's the same kind of idea. Paul says, Him, that is Jesus, we proclaim, warning everybody and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. There's the fruit, if you like, for this I toil or labour. Not in his own strength necessarily, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Definitely involves labour. Hopefully, it involves fruit. And it's that same supply and strengthening again of God. It's not just about labour, but about fruitful labour. And that fruit, it's the fruit of changed lives. It's the fruit of seeing people grow. And mature in Jesus. This is the joy of it, right? When we serve, we're wanting it to be fruitful. We get to see each other's lives change. Why on earth is there a bunch of people out there this morning taking GBC kids? Man, that sounds like a lot of labour to me. Right? There's a reason I'm here and not out there. probably wouldn't do too well in kids ministry i don't know haven't really tried but that it's it's my point is it's not an easy gig but gospel fruitfulness seeing those children understand just one amazing thing about jesus this week that they didn't know about before this week that they go and talk to mum and dad about this week that the Spirit of God may bring to their remembrance next decade that may actually be part of what God uses to see them full of the fruit of righteousness at the day of Jesus. Oh, hang on, that's why you go out and do that out there. Fruitful labour. Fruitful labour. 
we actually get to do that. Not because of our power or our cleverness, but because of the gospel, which is the power of God and the spirit of God at work with the gospel. And lo and behold, there's often fruit. So we serve Jesus with everything. Now, I don't know whether you know this, and I don't know what point along this journey you are on. If you've only just started, this is probably not great news. The average Aussie working life is 38 years. And that means you will basically probably work about 90,000 hours. 90,000 hours of labouring or working. That's a lot of labour. It's important labour, right? You need food on the table, roof over the head, all that sort of stuff. But it's probably not what you might you call glorious labour. Although we are called to do it to the glory of God. Discipleship, however. Seeing lives transformed, people becoming like Jesus and one day filled with the fruit of righteousness at the day of Jesus. Wow. Fruitful labour. That is why Jesus, sorry, Paul serves Jesus with everything. What about you? Is that why you serve? If you're serving, awesome, but please, if you're serving, please don't lose sight of that big goal, that big reason, fruitful labour, that there might be fruit. Pray for your team, whoever you're serving with. Pray for anyone serving. Pray for the gathering of God's people, among whom lots of people are serving, that there would be fruit, that our labour in whatever area, whether it's magnification or GBC kids or welcoming or preaching or praying or leading or just encouraging each other after the gathering, would be fruitful would be fruitful. Every day we have is a day that God has given us. It's a a day, to use Paul's words, we get to live on in the flesh. What will it mean to you? Will it mean the pursuits of this world's goods or fruitful labour? Will it mean serving yourself, grabbing at everything this world has to offer or serving Jesus with everything you have to see lives changed by him. Funnily enough, what we see here again is that mature disciples are all about making disciples, about fruitful labour. So friends, we've seen some key foundations of discipleship, key foundations that if we embed them into our lives and are true of us, then we will not be part of that statistic that says people are not growing. This is a, it doesn't have to be that way. So here they are again. Magnify Jesus in everything. Treasure Jesus above everything. And serve Jesus with everything. And again, we're a work in progress. So this is not going to be perfectly done by you. But this is what we want to strive for and depend on God for and encourage each other towards. So please join me as we pray to that end.
Father, we thank you so much for this part of your word that we found ourselves in this morning. And we thank you, Lord Jesus, that just verse 21 alone has been powerfully used by you, by your spirit, to radically reorientate and transform many lives. And we pray that it might be true of us too. To live as Christ. Not to live is to serve Christ, but to live is Christ. He is life. Father, please, by your spirit, show us his worth, his beauty, his glory. Show us that he and knowing him is better than life. May we magnify him each day in our weakness but strengthened by you. May we treasure him more and more. And Lord, grant us the joy of fruitful labour for him as we serve him with all that we have and all that we are. We ask all this that we might be fruitful, growing disciples that bring you glory, that are healthy, that know the depth and power of your grace and are full of joy because we've seen the kingdom and by your grace we've become part of it. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.